0: So I knew what missionaries were growing up, um, but it was not until I was in college at a Southern Baptist church that I really um, got to learn about missionaries. So it was while, I was while I was in college, I went to Cedar Creek Baptist Church in Louisville. Um, it was a Southern Baptist church. And they have two different missions boards. They have the International Missions Board and the North American Mission Board. And all of the Southern Baptist missionaries go through those two boards who do all the fundraising for them through the churches. Um, And so as a church, we didn't support individual missionaries. We supported the missions boards that then supported all the missionaries. So there are clear benefits to this. Um, that are really great. The missionaries don't have to spend their time fundraising. They don't have to worry about money. So there's some, some good things about it. They could spend all their time on focused ministry. However, we as a church generally did not have a relationship with the missionaries that we supported. Every year at Easter and at Christmas, they would do special offerings and we would learn about three or four in particular, as we prayed for them through the week. And sometimes we would get a list um, throughout the year with like a calendar of it's this missionary's birthday. And so pray for this missionary. Um, But we didn't know them. We didn't have specific missionaries that our church was praying for. Uh, Later we did because it was one that... um, they actually, a family that started at the same time we did and ended up on the mission field through the International Mission Board. But we, we didn't know the names we were praying for. One of the things that we love about Mount Calvary is that we have missionaries that we specifically fund and specifically pray for and we specifically know. We have the, the missions weekend where they they come in we're going to have a missionary couple come in on Sunday morning and share with us we have missionaries throughout the year that come and there is so there is a benefit to the fact that they do have to fundraise because you get to know the missions you get to work with those those missionaries we have a team that goes to Mexico every year we have a team that tried to go to Maine this year issues beyond our control, but the hope is to go back, to to plan to go to Maine, to support our church's missionaries. So there's a relationship, and this has been such a blessing to me. I have enjoyed learning about all the different ministries that people that are working in and different places around the world, and to have a small piece of each of those and know that the dollars that I give are going straight to them. This, is, this also has helped me to understand about Paul and his relationship with the people he's writing letters to. The first time I told you I had memorized Philippians and was was actually learning how to teach a Bible study by by studying the book of Philippians, while Ray was in seminary, and I didn't understand this relationship in depth because I was just praying for the name. But here they are praying, the Philippians no Paul. They are praying for Paul, not just a missionary in Rome. They care about what is happening to him. They are interested in what is happening to him. They are heartbroken by Paul's suffering, and they are eager for updates. So we've studied Paul's greeting. We've studied his prayer for the Philippians, and now we get to the update. This is part of what the Philippians have been waiting for, is news. And we know where he's writing from. Where is he? In prison in Rome. Rome was always a goal of Paul's. It was the center of influence for the world at the time. He made plans and indicated in other letters that this was his ultimate goal to get to Rome. And here he is. Not the way he expected. Not anywhere close to the way he normally preached. But he was forced to the city under guard and in chains so let's read Philippians 1, 12 through 18. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, of others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing I am put here for the defense of the gospel, the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ proclaimed. That my I have to scroll back to my spot. See, I didn't have my Bible, so I had to go over to the spot where I have the Bible written out. Um, so Paul had been under house arrest. This is like we talked about, about two years in. Two long years confined to one small house. Yet some of his greatest sermons came from this time period. In They were in one-on-one settings with the emperor's guards that in turn took Paul's messages to the palace and even to the emperor himself. Now, the people, the Philippians, already knew that Paul was in prison. Um, they had sent money. They had sent encouragement. They had sent support to him previously. They are all aware of the bad news and the suffering. But that doesn't mean... That, I mean they are still concerned for their friend and pastor they weren't looking for details of the imprisonment but they wanted to know how he was truly doing and now they know paul is still doing the work of the lord and he is rejoicing so andrew and Catherine went last weekend to the uh the youth retreat not this past weekend the weekend before we knew we wouldn't hear from andrew until he got back that's just the way he is um but I wasn't sure about Catherine. The night before leaving, so that Friday night, she did not sleep well at all. So here she wakes up, she's exhausted, very proud of her. She didn't pack a week early. She waited until Saturday morning to pack. This is not my the normal thing for my daughter. May have been part of why she had trouble sleeping. I don't know. But here she's anxious that maybe she's forgotten something. She's tired because she didn't sleep well. And I just prayed that she would settle in and be able to enjoy the time, even though she was already tired. And I didn't want her to be tied to her phone, but I thought maybe she would send me a text to let me know that she was doing okay. She didn't on Saturday. She didn't on Sunday morning. Finally, Sunday evening, my phone rings. And she called, and she told me that she was having a good time. That she wasn't overly exhausted, her nerves had settled, and she was doing well. Now, this is my child, so it's different than if it's Paul, right? But there was this genuine sense of relief because I knew that she was okay. I knew that despite her circumstances going into the weekend, that she was emotionally doing okay. And so this is similar to how the Philippians would feel in hearing this news from Paul. They would have been relieved to know that he was okay, but even more so that he was joyful, that he was rejoicing. And then they'd be even more relieved to hear that the gospel was still being shared. Paul is, he starts his statement, his, his update is what I'm calling it. He starts it with confidence instead of complaining about his circumstances. He acknowledges his hardship and his imprisonment from a human perspective, but then he addresses it from a divine perspective. He's in prison, chained to a guard 24 hours a day, And yet it was an unexpected positive for the gospel. He doesn't dwell on prison life. He magnifies the Lord instead of his circumstances. Now the word advance there in verse 12 says that, um, let me scroll back over. Um, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel that word advance there is um, a, a blazing a trail before an army. Paul sees his imprisonment as a catalyst for the gospel and he is sharing this with the Philippians in order to uh, to embolden them. Stephen Lawson, he says this report by Paul should have the same effect on us as well in the face of whatever resistance we face for the gospel, whether at work or home or with friends, we too must speak the truth with increasing confidence. This is the line that that really struck me this week. Paul is reminding us that obstacles are not impediments. Paul has literally been fastened in chains for two years. These would have been similar, these these chains would have been similar to handcuffs, but the chain itself was longer, probably about 18 inches in length. And it would have still restricted his movement. He was clearly not free. But he was also attached, not just restricting his own movement, but literally attached, chained to a guard. There would have been about a dozen guards that rotated shifts in the chains to be attached to Paul. Paul didn't see them as guards. He saw them as a new congregation every 12 hours. Right. With every shift, he had literally a captive audience. He's the captive, and he has a captive audience. Now, clearly, the Romans thought that they were silencing Paul. They thought they were putting up that obstacle for Paul. But in reality, they gave him the captain audience that gave him a path to the emperor. Because these guards that were guarding him were the elite guards. These were the guards that guarded the emperor. These were the guards that would talk to the emperor and not as advisors necessarily, like they weren't official advisors. But they still, they would, he would ask the, these guards what's going on. They were, they were an, a, 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 a line of communication for him to the world. So here Paul is talking to the same guards that are talking to the emperor. The Roman emperor that is out to, to potentially kill him. And yet Paul has a direct line to them. Tony Merida says, see the providence of God at work here. Instead of living freely and heading to places like Spain, which was where Paul was wanting to go next, instead of heading to places like Spain, the most powerful Christian missionary was allowed by God to be imprisoned. We don't often think of something like prison as an opportunity, but it was. This is exactly what God does with our circumstances. Paul saw his circumstances as an opportunity to share the gospel, and we need to have the same view as Paul. We need to recognize that where you are is not a stepping stone to what is next. It is not an accident. It is a God-ordained opportunity. Yes? Guards, but the reason he was there, the people that had to review his case, which were high up in their government, had to review all those documents so he also had their attention to the gospel as well. Right. Yeah, it wasn't just the guards. There were lots of people involved in his imprisonment and in his whole trial that he had a, a direct line to. And we'll get to some of them later as well. But Paul took that that divine appointment of prison and took full advantage of it. And that's what we need to be doing too. We are where we are by divine appointment for the purposes of sharing the gospel. But then he goes on, um, Melanie, for, uh, we're going to reread Philippians 1 verse 14. So what did Paul say about the brothers? They became more confident. They became more bold to speak without fear. Paul's outspokenness, gave motivation to fellow believers. They saw his example and it gave them courage. It built them up and it helped them to be more bold. It says without fear there, that they spoke without fear. Without fear, that word means they were not hesitant in any way, shape or form. So here's the question. What is stopping you? What is holding you back from that boldness to speak without fear? We need to pray for good courage as we make the gospel known. But then Paul addresses a different problem. So let's reread verses 15 through 17. moved my thing. Sorry. Okay. So Paul starts talking to the Philippians about other preachers and teachers in Rome. That word envy um, in the the Greek word means jealousy or a feeling of ill will towards others. And rivalry is a heated contention, a mean quarreling, an unhealthy debate. That word rivalry has a very harmful tone to it. So these teachers were attacking Paul's reputation. In essence, what they were saying is that Paul's imprisonment is God's punishment on him. They were creating division among the believers. And they were trying to compete with other people who were on the same team as they were. But then there were others that preached out of goodwill. That goodwill word means pure motives. They loved Jesus. They believed that Paul was in prison because of his boldness for the gospel. And they remained true to the message of the gospel. And so he, he is um, contrasting these two groups of teachers, those ones who are teaching out of selfish ambition, uh, which that Greek word means that it's one that's working for hire. It's that idea of someone who could be bought to carry out an evil deed. And we need to be aware of jealousy and envy in ministry. This is a temptation for anyone that ministers to others. The way to overcome this is by caring more for Jesus's glory than for your own. And so anytime we are serving, we have to be mindful of whether we are promoting ourselves or we are promoting Jesus. So we need to pray for God to give us the grace to minister out of love for him and others. We need to look at what our motives are. But what's interesting is Paul is not worried about these teachers. They are not false teachers. Paul addresses false teachers in in many of his other letters. These teachers, it's not their message message that is the problem. It's their motives. Because Paul is still rejoicing in even those ones that had bad motives, because Christ is still being proclaimed. And that is all that matters to Paul. He's not worried about himself and his situation. He re- and he rejoices without condoning the bad motives. And I think that's an important thing. Rejoicing does not excuse their sin of selfish ambition. He's not excusing them. We are going to see preachers and teachers who do things that make us cringe. That we're going to be like, did you really just say that? Like, did you really just promote your own book to your congregation in the middle of your sermon, whatever it is, right? We will see this happen because we live in a fallen world. But we have to ask the question, are they still preaching Christ? If so, we should rejoice. Then we should pray about their motives. Pray for them to see their sin. So, in a nutshell, this whole passage is the, is the idea of the Philippians hearing from Paul, but they're also being taught a lesson in this update. their lives and our lives are not about me being made comfortable but are about Christ being made known. Now you are dismissed to your small groups.